Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. I want to start off by saying I apologize. I realize I uploaded an unedited version of the Gary Goldman episode, and a few thousand of you have already listened to it before I caught it. And, uh, and so this is the edited version. So you don't have to sit through the first five minutes of uh, Gary and I fiddling and fussing with the sound. Um, and so to reintroduce Gary Goldman, uh, he is an American stand-up comedian who was a finalist on the NBC reality talent show, Last Comic Standing, uh, in its second and third seasons. He released his first CD, Conversations with Inanimate Objects, in 2005, and his first television special, Gary Goldman, Boyish Man, the following year. Since then, he has released two other comedy albums and three other comedy specials, including 2019's The Great Depression on HBO. It's one of my favorite specials. It's a mix of comedy and uh, documentary. Uh, in today's episode, Gary and I, we discuss uh, him checking himself into a psych ward. Uh, and undergoing electroconvulsive therapy. We even talk about, obviously, how he struggles uh, with chronic depression and how shame is linked to suicide and how to forgive yourself for misdemeanors. We even get into, if there are any old hip-hop fans out there, even uh, tying the ghetto boys uh, into our talk about mental health, and we get into so much more. Uh, so with that said... Let's just jump into the episode. I, I love it, man. I, first, I, I want to say uh, I, I love and appreciate your HBO special, The Great Depression, um, how extremely uh, courageous and vulnerable that was. Well, I, I think you know that the real uh, courage is, is waking up when you feel terrible and depressed and anxious so talking about it after that was was pretty easy and vulnerable i don't know i didn't feel vulnerable because the the audience reaction almost from the the get-go was very very positive so um i i won't beat myself up too much but the real the real hard thing is is functioning day to day when you're when you're sick so let's start there. You know, let's start with, with the present moment. What what got you out of bed today? Oh, I mean, I feel great about where I am in in life right now. But I I I think it was October of 2017 that I started to feel better, and and since then, with maybe a or half a day here and there. I've been been really thriving and, and highly functioning. So I would say it's the the inertia and the, the habit and the the chemistry that started to I don't I don't know what the right word it it is to describe what was going on in my in my brain and in my and in my my bloodstream 
in October of 2017, but somehow the, the cocktail of antidepressants as well as the, the treatment that I had received, I, I received, and I talked about it in the Great Depression for a bit, I, I received electroconvulsive therapy, and I've, I think that that created a, um, a, a, a better environment for my chemicals or, or whatever goes on that makes you start feeling like the world is, is, is worth worth taking part in and, and that life is worth taking part in and that it, it, it just became easier to do easy things. And one of them was was getting out of bed, but another was just just even walking around. I remember I was I was saying this to my wife yesterday. We were walking, and I said, "Remember how you used to have to wait for me to to catch up because she was able to walk so much faster, and she's she's a foot shorter than me, maybe not that much shorter, six inches, seven inches, but she would." She would walk around the city, and I was constantly getting lapped by her, and and so it, everything's gotten much easier. That's a that's a long answer. So, uh, if if you need me to clarify or or amplify or 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 elaborate, just ask me. I, I love that you have a thesaurus in front of you as we're going through this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, how, how how much further is he gonna go? But you're a comedian, so of course you stopped at three. Clarify, elaborate, uh, 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 justify. Like I forget what the. <laughs> it, it makes me so happy that you recognize the rule of three. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you you, you stuck with it um, because it definitely could have. It could. I think there's like a thousand words that we could have gone. Now we both have an affinity. Uh, for words, uh, so I I, pre- I love following you on Twitter and Instagram, and you do your your Goldman uh, daily tips. But um, I I want to I want to go back though because you brought up a very important point of some getting out of bed is is an underrated achievement. Yes, right. Like there should be a plaque, a trophy, a certificate of completion. For the days you get out of bed. Yes. I, th- I think one thing that was really helpful early on was having dogs that, that needed to walk and, and were, I mean, they were gentle for a while. And then one of them would always start barking when it was like, we, we need to go out. So that, so that was really helpful because honestly, the hardest part of of getting out of bed or or this is going to sound so stupid but once you're up you're like why did it take me three hours to, to do this this was this was so easy and so I, I i wrote this thing down and i put it next to my bed when i was first recovering and it was and, and i was very gentle i said gary just get out of bed for 15 minutes. Walk the dogs for 15 minutes, and if you feel like going back to to bed, then then go back to bed. But give it 15 minutes, and maybe one time did I go back to bed. Every other time, it was just that 
that clearing of the of the cobwebs and getting some some inertia. I noticed that with so many people in my in my life that that the 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 resistance is is coming from the inertia, but also the the idea that you you need to do anything you have to do. You need to do it for at least two hours, or it won't be worth doing. And just do it for five minutes, and almost without exception, you'll do it for longer than that. It's the it's the interrupting inertia and then creating some inertia. And I I, I can't think of a better word than inertia, but momentum. You know, I don't. Uh, momentum is is one of those words that. Uh... I I like, but inertia is, I think, a more powerful and empowering word because uh, within that word is in. And so you're reminded that the, the, the action that's required, the motivation that requires is already in you, inertia. So you don't you don't need you don't need a motivational speech from the outside. You don't need you don't really need the dogs. You don't need somebody to pull you out of bed. Well, what you need to get moving is already within you, whatever that is, and you, you, it's up to you to, to tap into that and discover that so that you can gather up momentum uh, at, some, at some later date. But I, I love the word inertia, so, uh, yeah, let's definitely stick with that. Wow, that, that, that was really insightful. I, I love that. In, I will remember that. Yeah, and, you know, and you're absolutely right. This idea that... Uh, if you're not doing something for two hours, if you're not uh, 90 minutes, uh, if you're not spending half a day or, or you know, <laughs> if you're not obsessing over it uh, day and night and uh, it should consume you, uh, that is not worth doing uh, it is utterly ridiculous because life, li- life doesn't give a damn about uh, what your schedule is. The, the quarantine didn't look at your schedule and say this is the time to do it. Uh, you know, the tragedies and car accidents and, you know, I had a friend who was diagnosed with cancer, like, like, like life is not looking at your schedule to figure out when can they squeeze in uh, two hours to hit you. It's like you, you, you decide now, if you have the time now, do it now. If you can get up now, get up. And um, one of the things that got me, get me out of bed is uh, the days where I stay in bed, I was realizing like these feelings of shame and guilt and I'd be angry at myself and, uh, and, and when I was really aware of that feeling, I was like, I never want that feeling again. So I, I do exactly what you say to do in terms of when I wake up, I get up and I, I have a morning routine that I do. And then after, after that morning routine, I want to go back to bed. I go back to bed. But yeah, what, what is the morning routine? So I call it germs, J E R M S and it stands for journal exercise read meditate self talk. Wow. And I do that every morning uh typically in that order where I get up and I uh I'll journal for everything I do is for 20 minutes I if I have the time or sometimes I yeah. do everything for 5 but I'll journal with my non-dominant hand. That's what well what I'm doing right now. It changes how I do it, but right now I journal with my non-dominant hand for 20 minutes. I'm just freestyle writing, you know, part of the morning pages uh, for 20 minutes. And then I'll do uh, some form of yoga for 20 minutes. Usually it involves like a lot of sun salutations or uh, if I'm feeling really good, I'll, I'll break out the kettlebells or something. But I, I, I move for 20 minutes and then I'll read. I, I, I have like these... Uh, 
you know, like these uh, Buddhist books to like Zen, uh, Zen now, like, you know, the power of the now, like those, those meditative books that every chapter is like a page. So it's just right. you, you easily can, can, can consume something, reflect on it. And, and then maybe I'll take some notes on it. Think about my day, kind of set the tone for my day. And then uh, I meditate for 20 minutes. Uh, right now I'm doing a guided meditation. I listen to the same guided every day for 64 days because science says it takes that long to create a habit. So when I do something, I like to try to, I, my intention is to do it every day for 64 days to, to see the, the results of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the same guided meditation every day for 64 days. And then my self-talk is uh, I, I have a, 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 mon- a daily mantra that I, just, that I repeat to myself uh, over and over again, like while I'm taking a shower. Usually that's, you know, I do that in the shower. So I do that in the morning and then I do some form of that at night. That's where I usually am not as disciplined, but I, I'm working on it right now in terms of making that my night routine also. Wow. That, that is terrific. I mean, that is extensive and really, really impressive. It's inspiring. I, I really, but I, I know how those morning routines can be so helpful. I remember I used to do one where I would, I would, I would do some quick exercise. It was never as long as 20 minutes. I would do some quick exercise and then I would make a gratitude list and then I would walk the dogs. And it's just, I, I, I think that, that, a routine is is so helpful, especially when you, I don't I don't know what your mood is when you wake up in the morning, but mine was always the worst in the morning. It was it was hopeless, it was negative, and it it was defeatist, and and it was it was all I could do really to avoid succumbing to this this just very negative self talk. And so initially, I mean, when I was really sick, when I could could barely function, I would I would listen to mostly books on audiobooks, and that would get me from out of the 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 I guess it was just ruminations, these negative ruminations about my about my future and my my present and my past and regrets. So that that. I, 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 what is your mood like when, when you first wake up in the morning, when you, when you're not, when you're not well, <coughs> I am, I am Thanos in the morning. I want the world to be <laughs> completely be obliterated. <coughs> Everything and everyone must go. You understand? I want right. to sink ships. I want to turn over all the tables. I want to throw things out of windows like everything and 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 everyone is i i hate to move it's like i feel stiff i'm like frankenstein like it's like i you know what i i tell my girlfriend it's like i have tissue in my brain and it's like i just want to pull the tissues out of my brain and wow. my body just feels st- like no matter what i do the night before i could i could do yoga i could do Well, I tell you that one of the things that helped make a difference in terms of my movement in the morning was uh, doing hot yoga. If I did hot yoga the day before, I I would definitely feel much better in terms of my movement 
the following day. So I understood uh, the benefits of that. But um, but yeah, it's like I like I'm I'm good. I'm a middle. Well, in the morning, uh, I'm trash for like the first uh, like hour or two. And then by the time I've gone through my, I call it my progressions, going through journal exercise read, because I played college football. So I call it going through my, once I've gone through my progressions, I'm ready to show up for the world. Like I'm, I'm operating at like by 10 a.m., I'm firing on all cylinders uh, for a couple hours. And then I lose wind. Some, usually around now I lose wind. But today I, I've just, I've been, been doing things real optimally. So I feel fired up. Uh, and then I lose momentum again around in like the next few hours. And then I get a, a second wind, uh, in the evening, um, uh, for a few hours where I can just do work, like quiet work. So it's not like this excited thing, but so I've kind of learned to, uh, navigate and work with my emotions and my moods, uh, you know, as I'm sure like you're, you're learning and still working with. Yeah, I mean, I, I do you do you drink coffee at all? My uh, my go to beverage is tea. I'm a huge proponent okay. of because uh, I didn't grow up with coffee. Like I love the smell of it, but I like that wasn't a, a a smell that I was extremely familiar with. Everybody in my my mom's from Belize, uh, and everybody drank tea. That that was the beverage of choice. So uh, green tea, man, and matcha tea. And then we just got back from Peru, so now uh, uh, coca powder uh, tea is or Muna tea, Muna tea. That's our we, we added that to the mix. Oh, that's terrific! That's so healthy. Yeah, what, what are you a coffee? What you an Ethiopian coffee? What's your thing? Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a coffee guy, and I I really it's. I find I use it for the antidepressant as as well as the 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 energy it, it gives me as as far as my my brain, but also I the interesting thing was the first indication that I was getting better in with my depression was that I would have coffee every morning for months and it would do nothing. I wouldn't feel any different. And then one day the coffee started working and I, I hadn't felt that way in, in years. And it was, it was a revelation. So that, that was, that was sort of the, the, the first thing that, that came back was, was coffee was, was helpful again, in, instead of just a waste of money. So, so that, that was really, that was really helpful. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, sometimes like a, when I'm, when I'm, you know, Abraham Lincoln calls it feeling unmanned. And when I'm feeling unmanned, uh, you're right. The, the taste of food doesn't quite, doesn't quite taste as good. And, and, uh, the, uh, you know, the tea, the green tea isn't as stimulating. And, uh, and that's when I realized, like, I just got to back up off of that stuff and then just drink more, more water until it comes back. But there are these indicators of, of your, your mood and your emotions, uh, changing. Yeah, that I I read this book one time called Lincoln's Melancholy, and I it's a great book. I had no idea he was he was such a depressive. Me either. Like, and that yeah. his friends had to like basically quarantine him and seclude him because he'd walk off into the woods with a gun. That's such a, an incredible book. 
Yeah. Oh, you read it too. Oh man. That's uh, yeah. I love that book. Yeah. I've tried to, I want to give it to, uh, I tried to give it to some friends and they, you know, the, the, I think the topic was too dark, but I'm, I've become fascinated with Lincoln now. And, and I want to read, um, uh, what was the book? The five, um, the R- team of rivals. Oh, team of rivals. I haven't the read it. Turns good one. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the more I learn about him, the, the more impressive he he is. He just 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 because that that whole depression thing. I mean, he was he was he succumbed to to it, and and he 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 would have these these extended episodes, and he back then they called them nervous breakdowns, but. He was he was really sick and and just to overcome that we we know how hard it is to do to work and and to even sometimes I would I would question my my just my my character because I would I would say a a, a, a good person would do this would would get out of bed and volunteer and do things and it just it was just so hard. Now, how did? You know, going to therapy and 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 I know that you hospitalized yourself voluntarily. Well, how did uh, you know? How has that experience helped you deal with those thoughts of of these? It sounds like you had like the shoulds. Like I should be doing this. A good person should be doing that. It's almost like we're, like we're we're like shaming ourselves because I had those same thoughts in my head. I was just telling somebody I was like I should be volunteering. Like why aren't I giving back more and doing more for the community? Yeah, I I think that, and and you mentioned therapy, and I I don't remember whether it was clear in the in this special, but I I know that I didn't say this, which I I almost wish I had, but I remember when I was when I was really sick, when I was going into the hospital, I remember I I was still trying to go to therapy, and then my my psychiatrist, who was who was not my therapist, but my psychiatrist help me um I, I forget what the word is i didn't commit myself but i i he helped me enter the hospital and he said therapy is is great but it's the the analogy he used he said it's almost as if your your house is on fire and you're trying to rewire it in in while it's on fire and that's sort of what therapy is you need you need to correct the the issues in your in your chemistry and in your your the way your your brain is firing and and so i i stopped going to therapy for for some time until i was at a place where it was it was beneficial and and i could make some some steps because the 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 way my depression would work was I, I wasn't I wasn't open to wisdom and logic and and reason when I talked to my therapist he would he would I remember there was there was one specific case where I spent 50 minutes crying and beating myself up because when I was when I was eight years old I was I was mean to this to this neighbor this this little girl and I made her cry 
And I was, I was just, I, I couldn't think of anything else. And I, I know now that, it, yes, I, I should have been nicer, but I know now that that's sort of one of, one of the classic depressive go-tos is to, is to regret and to, to shame yourself and beat yourself up for, for long ago transgressions. And, and when I'm reasonable and I can, I can understand logic. The therapist said, yes, it was bad that you made the girl cry, but you really, you can forgive yourself and, and move on. And, and it's probable that she doesn't even remember it, but, but on, under the, 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 the sway, the possession, it's almost like a demonic possession of, of, of depression. I, I remember th- thinking that it was perfectly reasonable for me to kill myself as a punishment for being mean to this girl when I was eight years old. And on the outside of the depression, I can, I can reasonably assess that that would have been such a tragedy and, and way beyond what, what was reasonable as a, as a punishment. But in the midst of depression, it seemed perfectly reasonable because I wasn't in my, my right mind. So I, I, um, does that answer the question? Is it, is that, does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, uh, the, the idea of trying to, uh, put out a fire or rewire your, your house while you're trying to put out a fire is such a great analogy because I've often described the, the, the sensations of, of suicidal ideation is like a, a flare-up, almost like a heat, like the, like, uh, like when you watch those cartoons and, and a person's getting mad and then they become like kind of a thermometer and you see like yes. the blood boiling. And, and yeah. it's like that. It becomes this, uh, somebody described it as a, like you're in a building and a building's on fire and, and you know, your only option is, or you feel like your only option is to jump out the window and the people uh, you know, on a sidewalk are like, don't jump. But you're like, you don't see these flames. You don't see this fire. It's like, right. right? And it's like, I have to, I have to pick like, I'm, it's like, do I want to die by flames or do I want to, you know, die by, by jumping in? And, uh, and like you said, when we are having those, those flare ups, we're not, we don't realize it's not, um, it, it's, it's not going to kill us. The flare up itself is how we respond to the flare-ups uh, that could be detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. When you, when you talked about uh, the books you would listen to for motivation, what, what books uh, do you, did you listen to to kind of, uh, you know, set your mind uh, a, a course? Well, it, it, it initially it didn't, it didn't matter as it it had to be nonfiction because I I didn't have the the focus to really I, I guess I I believe that fiction because it's often so poetic that you need to see the words and you need to see how they're they're used and and set up and get the the flow and the poetry of it and listening to it I I feel like you're almost concentrating more on the plot than you can the 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 word and the the language so it was it was always nonfiction and I remember one of the one of the earliest books I listened to was was just mercy and it was Brian Stevenson and he he read it himself and it was just it was 
it was a story of justice and and a story I, I it often helped me to listen to or or to read stories of people who had it very bad but didn't but didn't give up hope and of of people helping each other or of a a sports team that that was was I, I remember listening to a book about the 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 San Francisco 49ers and and their their ascension from from being a laughingstock of the league and and then becoming a a, a dynasty and and I remember that that book was it was it was just it was it was usually stories of of hope or of of overcoming odds that that I would I would listen to and and then and then I started to listen to to books by by writers and and about writers and I remember early on I listened to a this collection of essays by by Neil Gaiman and he he wrote fantasy and he wrote comic books and he wrote children's books and and he just he just had this great attitude about art and and writing and it just i i i love hearing about people's obsession with something so that so that he read constantly and wrote constantly and i thought oh he's great because he found something he loved and he did it and he didn't really really have more talent than everyone else or more gifts or opportunities than everyone else he just loved this thing he loved reading science fiction and fantasy and he loved writing it and i and i feel like when i when i talk to you and other comedians, it's this thing that we have been obsessed with since we were were kids, and we were we were probably going to do this no, no matter what, and and whether whether it was ever a, a, a vocation or a profession, we were going to listen to a lot of comedy and watch a lot of comedy and write a lot of jokes, whether anything ever ever came of it. And then we found the this other group of of obsessives in and we felt at home and free and and like we could be ourselves to a degree that we we couldn't even sometimes with it with the people closest to us because they didn't they didn't understand this drive to make strangers laugh and figure out these these weird word puzzles. Absolutely. Um, the, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought that, I thought I heard something click off. Um, but when you talk about reading books of of, of people who overcome, and because it gives you a, a sense of hope, it's it's the opposite of what reading and watching the news does. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and I, I just finished uh, reading the boys in the boat. And uh, unbroken. Have you read those? No, I haven't read either of those. Oh my god! If you want a story of 
of hope and overcoming obstacles and uh, a story of triumph. The Boys in a Boat uh, is, and I'm not, I'm not giving anything away, but uh, uh, and I'll link, I'll link these books in the show notes as we talk about them. Uh, is about a rower, and I'm not even in a rowing. I've never rowed. I'm not. There's nothing about it. But I saw that it was highly ranked and highly regarded, and uh, and it's from beginning to end. It's just a fascinating tale of this kid and and what he did uh, to join a row team and then the team, and it, it is just fascinating. And Unbroken, I'm surprised you haven't read it. It's about uh, 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 Angelina Jolie did a movie about him where this guy, he was destined to be an Olympic uh, track star. And then, uh, was it World War One or Two broke out uh, where we had to fight the, uh, uh, the Viet... Uh, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the Vietnam War. Um, but it was, it was some war broke out. And so he got drafted... Uh, when he's supposed to be competing in the Olympics and became a, a Air Force fighter, was shot down and then was stranded uh, in the ocean for a period of time. And I wish this, I, there's so much more to this. I, it's like, I was like, I can't believe there's more. And it's <laughs> one of those books where I, yeah. was, I was driving from L.A. to up north to the Sequoia Mountains, listening to this book. I listened to it on audiobook. And I, I refused to get out the car. Like I, I was like I was at the gas station for like an hour at the pump, at the same pump, like just riveted by uh, this guy's story. So uh, those are two books. If you wow, yeah, I've seen Unbroken, and it's been recommended to me on on every every app, and I. Wow, that that sounds amazing. I didn't realize there was a a sports component to it. There, there are yeah. I heard the movie is awful. Um, okay. The book from beginning, like oh, like it's a full three sixty story. It's, it was one of those where you're like, like oh, that's what a that's what a book is. That's like that's what a story. Not even a book, but a story. Um, and that's what a life is. Like the life that this guy had lived, and it just gives you this. You walk around with your shoulders pulled back a little bit more, and like. And every now and again, when I'm when I'm feeling morose or unmanned, I, I think about him and, and what he's been through, and uh, and that, and sometimes that gets me out of bed in the morning. That's awesome. Going back to your your hospital stay, you know, so many people are, are afraid, and and rightfully so because of the way the social media or social media, but the way the media has always portrayed hospitalizations. Um, and you know, it's like they throw you in a straitjacket, they drug you up and, uh, they just lock you in a room and you end up banging your head up on a wall. Can you, can you go through what you're, and especially cause you had electroconvulsive therapy done also, which, you know, I mean, to, to add to the, the, the horrible, uh, stereotypes of what, uh, uh, you know, being hospitalized looks like, uh, to have that done. So can you, can you walk us through that and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, um, definitely. And I'm, I'm glad you asked that because that's, that's something that, first of all, I would say that the hospitalization, it, it sped up my, my recovery. And I will say that I, there were at least two other occasions where if I had to do it over again and I know what I know now, I would have gone to the hospital sooner. 
and I, I think I, I may have gotten, gotten a lot out of it. I, I may have gotten better sooner during those, during those periods. But when, whenever you come to realizations, it's the, it's the right time. But so I was, I was terrified and all I had to go on. Well, most of what I had to go on was, was the film and TV depiction of, of the hospital, which is that it's, it's a nightmare and at, at, all costs, unless they actually commit you, you should avoid going in. And my, my psychiatrist had, had said, and he always framed it the same way over the years. He had, he had asked me if I wanted to come into the hospital on two other occasions years prior. And he said, come into the hospital and we'll take care of you. And that's how he put it. And I, I know now that, that that's exactly what happens. You go into the hospital and they take care of you. But I, I actually had, had therapists in the past who, who said explicitly, you don't want to go into the hospital. Do not go into the hospital. It's a bad situation. And the, the truth of it was that it was very ordinary. It was very similar to visiting a, a, a hospital. It just you didn't you just didn't leave. I was I was I was not wealthy. I didn't have the best insurance. I had average insurance and insurance that was a, a affordable to me at the at the time and. I didn't go to a private hospital. It was a public hospital, so that they they had to accept people who were were not of of means or or wealth or connections, and the the experience was was hugely beneficial. It it was ordinary. I I would say the the. The the only thing I would say that that you're not you're not pampered there. The food is is average. It's about what you had in high school or call. It's better than high school, and about the same as college. And I just I just know that the the staff was incredibly competent and patient and kind, and the other people there were for for all their illnesses were were very reasonable and and were were calm and decent and i was i was there for 3 weeks so people would come and go and i i i had group meetings and and then the, my favorite thing was there was a an art hour hour and a half we would we would paint or draw or, or do things I remember I was in during Valentine's Day and I I made a card for my she was my girlfriend at the at the time so I made her a card but it was it was very very ordinary and not scary and the, the only and I'm, I'm this may sound funny I, I don't know but the only scary thing about the hospitalization was when when I got out, I was I was very scared about the bills, and and covering the bills. But once I was able to figure out what the what the bills meant and what was covered and what was not and how it worked, I 
I did not have to pay very much out of pocket. And I was there for three weeks and I had electroconvulsive therapy. That's, that's the main reason I, I went inpatient was because you could get, if you went inpatient, you could get three ECT treatments a week, but outpatients could only get two. So I wanted to speed up my recovery. So I, the, the, the reason why I haven't spent that much time talking about the ECT was it was three days a week. It took about an hour and a half from the time I was wheeled down in the morning to the time I was brought back up to my, to my room. And it is not painful in the least. And I, and I mean, not at all. I don't, I don't have a single memory of physical pain associated with the electroconvulsive therapy. Some people do complain about headaches or some, some tightness in their, in their muscles or joints, but I, I didn't experience any physical pain. They gave me a general anesthesia, so I was knocked out during the entire thing, and then they give you a muscle relaxer, I guess, so you, you, don't, you don't react the way Jack Nicholson does in, in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, so you don't have these, these violent physical spasms and and things like that or or at least they're they're not nearly as violent as they would be if you didn't have the the muscle relaxer so it was it was i'm not going to say it was pleasant but i will say when i was sick the three to four seconds that it took for me to come under the power of the anesthesia were the most delightful moments of my of my day it was it was really and and the other thing was it worked really quickly within three treatments my anxiety which was was crippling i mean i was i was on edge every moment i was awake and within three treatments the anxiety was completely gone i mean i was shaking all the time from the anxiety and biting my lip till it bled and it was gone in a week and then the depression after about 10 treatments it it st- it it went away for the most part, I would say not to the point where I was, where I skipped home, but to the, to the point where I was able to resume my life. And, and the other thing with the ECT is that you, in my case, I went for more treatments outpatient. And so I would go at about 3 PM, I think in the afternoon and the, that was that was a pain in the neck because I usually had to wait an hour and a half before it was my turn, and and then again I would just the only difference was that I would they needed somebody to come get me to to walk me home. It was a few blocks from my apartment, and they they wouldn't let you go unless somebody came to get you. But I would I would recover, and then for coming to pick me up, I would I would take my my girlfriend or or my other friend who came to get me and we'd go out to lunch so it it wasn't a huge interruption in my in my day and i was pretty much just back to my my regular self within a few hours of of leaving the 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 treatment that day it sounds like it sounds such a a great a uh, great experience for you was there in terms of maintenance because you talked about how you had to continue to go uh, after you released uh, for the ECT treatments. Were there was there anything else you had to do in conjunction with the ECT in terms of 
treating your depression after you left the hospital? Well, yeah. I mean, we, we did change my, my medicine. And so that was, that was a part of it. But, but other than that, I, I just needed to resume my, my life and start to, to develop a routine like we, like we talked about earlier. And the, the, for me, the the crucial part of the routine is the is the morning and and how I spend my my morning because it, it was it was very tempting, especially early on in my recovery, to to spend more time in in bed than was than was necessary. So I I think it sounds like you have a similar rhythm to your to your mood and that it's better at night than it is in the in the morning. And, and so a, a lot of my, my energy is, and, it, and it's still this way, a lot of my energy goes into trying to, to manage the, the opening half hour of my, of my day and making it a, um, and, and not having the, cause I, I totally, I totally know how you felt when you would beat yourself up for how you were beginning your days and how you were getting down on yourself because that would that would derail my day a lot of times. I would say I, I would I would spend a much more time than I spent in bed feeling bad about staying in in bed and and uh, one thing that that I, I I probably should mention more is is how how valuable it is to be able to forgive yourself for these. I mean, these are really misdemeanors. You're not, you're not committing any, any huge crimes by, by taking a nap or staying in bed a half hour after your alarm goes off or even two hours. These are, these are misdemeanors, but we, we punish ourselves in our head and and in our self-talk like, like we, we did something really, really bad. It's so true, and, and you know, part of when we study the brain, especially the brain, the brain of people who are uh, struggling with with depression and, and suicidality, is that we we see our transgressions, our misdemeanors, as as so much greater than they are, and then we see other people as being so much more angelic uh, yes. than they are. The hippocampus. Yes. When 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 uh, the ghetto boy said, you know, my mind's playing tricks on me, he, he was speaking the truth. Yes. Wow. I, I this is this is the the quickest I've gotten to a Scarface reference in a in a podcast. This this <laughs> this pandemic that that it's it's interesting because let's let's talk about that that song for a while. It's. It's interesting for a gangster and a rapper to be that self-aware in maybe they're self-aware off stage, but usually within their music, there's so much bravado and swagger that they don't acknowledge their mental health. And, and that, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a great song, but it, it, it's so helpful in thinking about mental illness because your 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 brain is is hijacked. It, it it is playing tricks on you, and it's so 
nefarious because it uses your voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. To play these these tricks. And for people who don't know, here 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 are some of, here are the opening lyrics. It's at night I can't sleep, I toss and turn, candlesticks in the dark, visions of bodies being burned, four walls closing in on a negro. He doesn't say negro. Uh, I'm paranoid <laughs> sleeping with my finger on the trigger. My mom's always saying, my mom's always stressing I ain't living right, but I ain't going out without a fight. See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating and blood starts coming out my nose. I mean, I keep, keep going, but, but, you know, it's, that is, that opening sequence is relatable to so many people on so many different levels. Yes. You know, I'm thinking about not just, you know, boys in the hood, gangsters in the hood, but also vets coming back from, from war. It's yes. like late night, I can't sleep, I toss and turn. Uh, somebody being, some kid being abused, and they're, and they're waiting for their parent, their father to come home, or their mom, whoever's abusing them, and they, and they can't sleep because they know that when they come home, uh, the, the abuse is going to start all over again. Like, this is so relatable on so many levels. There's a reason why this song is a classic. Yeah, my my hair is standing on end as as you describe the the applications of that song because I, I I feel like I've noticed something since I started talking about my mental illness and and even when I was just kind of hinting at it over the years before I had the the skill and the confidence and the the fan base because I I think. I, I think a lot of credit has to be given to comedians who are talking about this stuff in front of mainstream audiences. So one of the great advantages I, I had by the time I started talking about this was I had an audience that was there to see me and they trusted me. And 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 I, I know just from from going back to the, the clubs where the audience doesn't know who they're going to to see in, in New York city or in LA, you don't really know the lineup or you don't bother to check out the lineup or, or the, 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 the style or, or they don't do any research. They don't really know who they're going to see. And then you have to perform for these people and you're talking about something that just isn't easy to talk about with, with strangers. So, but I, I will say back when, I was talking um, in illusion and just kind of touching on things that were were sort of coded or dog whistles. But I I found that people who were thirsty for that type of discussion and understanding they they find it and they recognize it. So so when I was saying that I was I never mentioned that I was depressed, but I was saying that I eat ice cream with a fork and I, I do my laundry and dump it on the bed and sleep around it. And I put the, the, the toilet paper roll on top of the, the spindle before I actually, I don't have the energy to, to, to engage the toilet paper with the spindle and people who were depressed saw that and they heard it and they thought this guy 
uh, understands or is describing what I what I go through. And then when you're when you're able to take it to that next level and be explicit, then then the world knows what you were talking about. But the people who really got it, the sufferers were were with you all that all that time. And I, I, I hope there's some validation in that for, for artists or, or just some inspiration in that, that if you, if you experience something once, one, you're never the only person. You're never the only person. There's, there's probably even a word to describe the thing that you think is, is your personal unique burden. Also, if you if you put it in your in your art, you will connect with people on a, on a level you you can't imagine was even even possible, or or that you 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 won't you won't just try it. I guess I, I would say just try to put some of those things that you were ashamed of, or that made you feel uncomfortable, or that you thought you were alone, and 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 include that even if you just have to to carefully dole it out in small portions because you don't you can't afford to lose the audience for a half hour even if you just talk about it for a couple of minutes there will there will be people who will feel heard and seen and understood and and they'll come back absolutely you know so many people especially i have have kids listen to the podcast and uh, young people who are poets and writers, and uh, and they're afraid to to express themselves through their art, and and uh, you know, and I love what you said about just just uh, dole it out in, in small, you know, bite sized portions, because sometimes the public, the audience, your teachers, your parents, they're not ready for uh, they're not ready for a full serving. You know, sometimes you just got to give them a little farmer's market taste. You know, let them, let them. <laughs> Let them get their right. fingers up in there and, and sample it a little bit. Get a get a toothpick and, and try this <laughs> on for size. You know, you know, put the plate away. Um, so I, I love that you said that because I think sometimes uh, uh, you know we have to be we do have to be aware of the environment, the context of which we're presenting our material, no matter what it is. And 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 that's why you know at the beginning I said uh, it required some courage and vulnerability because, like you said, uh, you. We're not always able to perform uh, our, our truth in front of our audience, and and so to to perform in front of people who don't know what they're walking into, uh, and uh, and don't know what they're going to experience, and to still stay the course and to still share your message, uh, you know, it 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 took a you know I would imagine it took a, a little reserve because it couldn't have been, you know, I. It couldn't have been easy from the start, from the from the jump. Even though I know you have an audience, yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't easy, but the the difficult nights, so the nights that it that it just failed, were were such a small percentage compared to the nights that it worked well, and I was yeah. I was given really good feedback. There were there were two things that I was that I was thinking of when we were, when you were talking that, that reminded me one was that we're so lucky in comedy that we can diffuse the dark stuff or, or 
maybe give the people a break from the dark stuff with some light or some some just it's it's such a it's so trite but that spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down so that i mean i i use that so many times during the great depression where i had to say some some heavy things but i knew that i had a joke around the corner to to lighten the the room but the the other thing i was going to say leo and and i i i think this was as 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 important to my recovery and at least the the stability and and strength of my recovery i think this was as important as the as the the chemical and the 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 hospitalization but i i found this quote from the the author samuel beckett or the playwright author writer artist samuel beckett and it was about it was about failure and he said, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And, and that became kind of a, a, a motto, credo, mantra for, for me when I was starting to write about my depression. And I, I have to admit, and this was really bad, but my, my mood for many years, for most of my career was dependent on the reaction of the last audience I performed in front of. So the audience had way too much control over how I would feel about myself in the morning. And then I, I read that quote, and it was at the same time that I was, was reading that, that book by Neil Gaiman, and he just he said, make mistakes. And he must have said it a hundred times make mistakes. And, and that is something, and I don't know if it's as, as common in your generation. It it probably is. It's probably just American thinking, but, but this, this perfectionism and this never let anybody see you sweat and never, never let anybody see that, that, that side of you. And, and it, it keeps so many comedians from taking risks or, or artists in general from taking risks. And, and it doesn't have to be in the art, just taking risks in general and being okay with failing and, and knowing that failing is, is part of the process. And, and maybe the most important part of the process, especially when you're, when you're trying something new, because I was, I was mostly just an observational comedian. And then I started to become more personal with this and, and knowing that the audience's last reaction isn't the final verdict on my act and more importantly on my worth. And because Ultimately, the entire project could have failed, and and my my only defense and and my only protection was really in my in my perspective and your perspective or your 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 reaction to these things. The the safest and healthiest and 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 ideal reaction is for me at least at, at least I tried. At least I tried. I, I gave it a shot, and if it failed, I I tried, and and then it all becomes a matter of the the stakes and the and the risk, and so you can feel pride in failing at something that was really risky, that was really 
really had a long shot or something that was so ambitious. And, and that I, I remember that the, the power of fail better and the idea, at least I, I tried was, was one of the, one of the, 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 the best fuels for, for working on, on the great depression. I love that. It's such a great message because we know that perfectionism uh, is is part of the characteristics of someone uh, who uh, is experiencing suicidal ideation, uh, and maybe even a characteristic of, and, and probably a characteristic of, of depression of just having these high expectations, wanting things to be perfect, everything has to be right, and if it's not right, then it's a catastrophe. It is catastrophizing we have of. Yes. Of, of of these misdemeanors of these small things and errors and mistakes gone bad it, it you resonate that resonates with you yeah and you know they talk a lot about in therapy like uh cognitive behavioral therapy what type of therapy did you go through i know you you saw a psychiatrist in in meds but in terms of the type of therapy that you underwent what type was that well, I, I I do talk therapy, and it's probably some version of of just social uh, social work and and counseling, and I, I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, and I think I apply a lot of the the things I learned in cognitive behavioral therapy as w- as well as the 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 expansive literature on cognitive behavioral therapy, but I, I also found something very helpful in, in, as, especially when I was, when I was unable to afford therapy and treatment, I was able to go to a, a group therapy, a support group in, in New York. And I, I just, I happened to, to Google free support group in New York city. And I found this thing called the, the mood disorder support group. And I would go every Wednesday and some Fridays if I wasn't feeling up to doing a show on a Friday. And I would, I would just sit with, with people and they had different sections for under 30 and for families of people with mental illness. And they had a, a depression section and a bipolar section and, and different sections. And, and I would go and sometimes it would just be two other people. Sometimes it would be 10 other people. And I, I would feel better after I left there. And it it was, it was hard. It wasn't easy to get to. I, I remember it was a lot of walking and, and, and mass transit changes of trains and buses, but it was, it was always worth it. And it was, it was, it was, it's, it's the way that you and I have this instant rapport because we understand this thing the way nobody else who hasn't experienced it, experienced it. And so we can, we can let our guards down and, and be ourselves and, to have that guaranteed every Wednesday and Friday was a, was a relief and something I would I would look forward to and and I I also think that we we always had that with our with our comedy 
friends. It's, it's just sometimes we, we weren't able to be as open with them because they were our friends and not, and not strangers. And we didn't want to burden them and we didn't want to, we didn't want to be vulnerable to them. But I, I think that, that one of the, one of the things we were, we were drawn to either consciously or subconsciously is this, this community in, in which we were able to, to be ourselves and, and where our, our, our foibles and our things we saw as our flaws were either, either not unusual or actually embraced or, or recognized. And, and I, I, I think, I mean, did you, did you have a sense when you first were amongst comedians, did you think to yourself, cause I've heard a lot of comedians say this, did you think to yourself, Oh my, Oh my word, this is, this is a, a feeling of, of acceptance and that I, that I haven't experienced in, in other places or it's rare that I experienced this. Um, I, you know, I can't say that because, you know, like I said, I played high school and college football and, uh-huh. and, and those guys were, uh, a family to me, you know, not all of them, well, obviously, but there was definitely a sense of brotherhood, a family and those guys to this day, you know, I'm 44. They're, they're still like family to me to this day. And, and, uh, and some of my friends I grew up with are, are still there. So I've, I've had these bonds very small, uh, uh, consistently over time, uh, that, uh, I've, I've been able to, to nurture and gravitate. So once I got into standup, um, I, I've, I've, I've been able to, to meet some very great guys, uh, who are, who are comedians and, 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 and formed a bond there, but I never looked at, <clears throat> I've never been one to feel like the entire group of anything uh, made me feel connected. I've always just been able to um, uh, link up with a small group from any group and and really connect with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I just – I mean I, I played – high school sports and then I played football at, at Boston college. And I, and I know that those friendships were really close, but there was this huge part of my personality that I kept to myself and I rightly or wrongly, I didn't think they'd understand. And I, and I think that a percentage of my teammates would have been fine with it. And then there would have been a percentage who didn't care. And then there would be a percentage who would openly mock me and ridicule me. So, so it's, it's interesting, especially with football, because there's so many players on the, on the team, how many different personality types and, and clicks there were within the, within the football team. And, and it was, it was based on so many different different intersections of, of personality and, and, and race and geography. And it, it was, I mean, the, the, what, a, what a sociology experiment could be done on a, on a college football team. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like the military. You just have these guys from all walks of life, all different parts yeah. of, the, of the country, uh, socioeconomic uh, backgrounds and, and religions and, and, you know, just coming in with these different cultural influences and, and now they're they're um, you know working together for a common purpose, a common mission, 
And 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 that's and you know it's trial by fire those first few weeks of camp, and uh, and fortunate and unfortunately you don't it's hard to find that uh, beyond beyond sports beyond military and stand up you can get that you know one with one or two guys at a time if you and somebody else goes on a road uh, together for a while and so you, you form a bond like that but. Uh, you know, I, a lot of I think that's why a lot of military guys, as much as it may have traumatized them, go back into the military because uh, of that yearning for uh, kinship and, and and brotherhood. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. It 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 really every single thing I've read and 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 listened to about the the relationships with the with these guys is they is they. More even than patriotism or religion or anything, it's their 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 bond with the with their with the men in their in their units and and it's 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 really remarkable, especially for for men who are who have such a hard time being being open with their feelings and and things. It's 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 really impressive. Yeah, do you have a group of of guys that you hang out with? Uh, I know that you you have your girlfriend, uh, and uh, but do you have like guys that you you know you get a drink with or you know sh- uh, banter with? Yeah, definitely. I have a, a a lot of close comedian friends that I've accumulated over the years, and and my. One of my favorite things is has just been because you you know how it it is you you're coming up and you're doing comedy and there are older guys who embrace you and there are older guys who really don't have the time or interest or energy or whatever it is and it's it's so helpful when those older guys can can give you tips or just even even acceptance and and so i've i've as i've gotten older and more experienced i've been really grateful that i've been able to to return the favor for a lot of these young guys and and on the on the other side of that i i get so much from from them because you you watch them and and i i don't know you're an athlete so you're probably competitive like me but there's an there's a reaction when I first see a young comedian who's really funny, and the first reaction is, "Damn it, damn it! I need to work harder. And why can't this person just stink so I can sit on my ass?" And and you, the the other thing is, there's also part of you that that is fearful that they're gonna unseat you or or. That, that that this is a, a competition and the 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 instincts because we're competitive is to not want to help them and you I I've found that it feels much better to try and do everything you can to let everybody you come in contact know how good this young comedian is and so I, I think that's much healthier and 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 uh, a much much more decent and moral stance than to try to sabotage their, their career or or uh, become resentful or or jealous. So I I I think that I 
I've built some really good friendships with young comedians, and they they also keep me on my toes so that I don't have this thing that that is that old comedians are prone to, which is not really not really adjusting to the to the times. So that when I when I started, there was a burgeoning alternative scene where comedians were 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 just stripping away a lot of the 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 slickness and the 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 it it just seemed 80s comedy I always seemed it always seemed very rehearsed and very contrived and then these 90s young comedians and and one of the best examples was was Janine Garofalo she just she not only did she not seem prepared, she brought her notebook on stage and and referred to it, and it was just it was a more honest delivery, and 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 that that was now all comedy that we we enjoy sounds conversational, and that wasn't always the case in the in the 80s. It sounded slick, and that there was a, a performance going on. It was clear, and now it just seems like a lot of the great comedians are having kind of a a conversation and we know from the inside that they spend a lot of time preparing it but they also spend some time in making it sound unprepared which is is just acting so i i, I think that that as as you get older it it it's important and you may have less time but it's important to to watch the young the young comedians because there's going to be an another another version of good comedy and you don't want to be bad mouthing it or trying to catch up or or getting lost in the in the shuffle because you didn't want to pay attention to what the what the the better or younger comedians were were doing there's a it it evolves i mean acting if you watch acting from the 1930s films it's it's a different style of of acting and and it doesn't it doesn't hold up if if the person isn't isn't natural uh, you know and i love that you brought up the word uh uh evolves uh because it, it's so true that you know because we sometimes we get in these relationships uh whether we're talking about stand up or work or we're talking about relationships where we have to recognize that it whether we want to or not uh, it's evolving. It's changing. It's it's. If you've been in a ten-year relationship, uh, the five-year mark is not what it was at the one-year mark, and at the seven-year mark is not a, it's not what it was at the five-year mark. Like it's it's evolving in one direction or another. We uh, as people are evolving in one direction or another, and and we have to accept that. And it's in that it's, it's the, when we try to resist the uh, the natural evolution of things. And, and evolution, by the way, doesn't mean that it's always for the positive. Sometimes there's a negative evolution taking place depending on the, the seeds and the habits. You know, it goes back to in the beginning, you talked about the habits that you had and, and developing those. Um, to, to, to add on to that, in terms of your sleep, how are you sleeping at night? And do you have a sleep routine? Well... The the routine is always in in flux, and there are there are adjustments. But I would say I I do everything in my power not to sleep in excess of nine hours. So 
I, I, for instance, last night I went to sleep at, at 2 a.m. and I got up at, at 10 a.m. And, but I, I had my alarm set for 9.30 a.m. And I, and I, and I snoozed three times, but I, I know that all I need is, is seven or eight hours and it feels great when you're, when you're sleeping that extra half hour in the morning, but then there's a, there's a price to pay as term in terms of productivity and, and also how, like you, you said, how you feel about yourself and how you beat yourself up for, for being sleepy. And, and I hate to use the term lazy, but that's how, how I talk to myself. I'm like, you're so, stop being so lazy. And, and it's just a, such a, a mean thing to say about anybody, but, but to yourself, it's like completely unnecessary and, and you already feel bad and then you're just piling on. So, so yeah, I try to sleep under nine hours and, um, but ideally I, I probably only need seven or seven or eight yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like, no matter what time I go to bed, I just set my alarm for if I if I have that freedom and flexibility for like eight to nine hours uh, in advance to make sure I'm not sleeping beyond that. And and really, do I would I do that? Um, yeah, because I would imagine that you know, especially people who struggle with depression and 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 other mood disorders, that you know, with stand up comedy, and if you have a job where you're working. Uh, late night or at night or your, your schedule's always changing and then you're throwing the travel, like all that are, could be triggers, you know, because routine is so important to, to mental health. Um, how have you um, balanced those two? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think, I mean, I've had long discussions with my psychiatrist about it. He's, He's very informed about the, the the contribution of sleep and circadian rhythms with regards to to depression and anxiety. And I, my wife and I go together, and she just was was telling him how when I come back from L.A. for the first day or two, I'm I'm not myself. I'm I'm very tired, and I'm I'm lackluster in terms of my, my energy and my, and my, my positivity and optimism. And he, he said, yeah, this, this type of, of, of jet lag and, and mood based on, on sleep patterns is, is significant. And the, the way our, our brain is, is wired are the the sun and and light has has a, a, a an enormous influence on our on our mood and our patterns and so he he gave me an outline and a, and a description of what I needed to do when I traveled and and we I had thought about doing a tour of Europe in the in the fall that I wound up putting off but. We, we had gone through what, would, what I would have to do to adjust and to to make sure that the the jet lag was was minimized so that that's yeah it's it's an important factor I, I really I'm, I'm very impressed talking with you all this time how 
much of a I, I think the word is is holistic approach you have to your your mood and 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 your your body and 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 your mind and that you hit it from every angle and I think that's so so important it it wasn't just one thing that I think sparked my recovery it was it was a dozen or so different things and some of them are small but they all they all are 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 contributors to to health and and recovery and and well-being yeah you know there's one of my favorite shows that i'm watching right now is uh succession on hbo and oh yeah i've heard it's awesome it's awesome without any spoilers there's a scene where somebody was fired and it was for something small, like there a button was undone or something like that. Or, uh, you know, they, uh, were like a minute late to a meeting and, uh, the person was like, you fired them over that. And, th- and then the person responded, it's an accumulation. And it, that word has stuck, has stuck with me because I realized that w- however I'm feeling right now, whatever I'm going through right now is an accumulation of all the things that I've thought and done and, and wrote and, you know, and, and things I didn't do up to this moment. So when, when I think about my, my, you know, waking up stiff or uh, feeling sad or feeling depressed, I, I, I recognize how valuable it is to, to click through, uh, you know, all the things, get a 360 view of, of why I might be feeling this way so that I can, I can course correct and, um, and manage it. Gary, I want to say thank you so much for, uh, for being on this podcast, for taking the time out. Uh, I've always been a fan of yours. Uh, I, 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 you, you wrote a list of books that people should read. And I was like, Oh my God, now I have more books to read, but I'm excited uh, and so you, you, you've kept me excited, not just about stand-up, but also about, about reading and words uh, itself. The last question that I ask of every guest on a podcast is, because uh, I imagine that there's always one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Gary? There is hope and i've i've been there and it is it is so worth sticking it out because i wake up every morning grateful that those those times when i wanted to do it i resisted and and sometimes barely but i resisted and i'm i'm so grateful i i always think of that 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 short story, the the an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, in which the the man is is well, he's he's hanged, but he gets to in in the I don't want to give it away, but it's worth reading, and I always I always think of 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 this other story I read about people who had tried to kill themselves by jumping off the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge that every single one of them regretted it on the way down. And I, I, I'm really so glad that I, I gave myself another chance 
and another day by by resisting. So that's a that's a long answer, but it's a a, a very existential crisis is a, is very complicated. Gary Goldman, thank you so much. Please plug all your things. Where can they find you? Well, I think to start the, the if they have HBO, the Great Depression is still well will probably always be streaming on on HBO. And then if you don't have HBO, they're releasing the audio of the the stand-up portion because it's a it's a documentary and stand-up, but mostly stand-up, but they're releasing the the stand-up portion of the the special on on May 15th. So so that that is that is available. And and I, I don't know about you, but I, I've always loved listening to to comedy on on drives or going to sleep or or just doing stuff around the house so i'm i'm really excited that they're going to be able to release that on on audio but leo it was such a delight talking to you and and the time went by so fast I, i really appreciate you uh including me in this and and connecting with me i i i look forward to seeing you at a show after the 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 plague is over. Yeah, absolutely, man. Because uh, we're both at the cellar, so I'm sure I'll see you at the cellar uh, once this is all done, or if you ever, because uh, you're in New York. So if you ever come out to LA, I'm sure we'll we'll link up then, man. We're friends now. I appreciate it, Gary. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for going to get help for for whether you have to hospitalize yourself or go to a therapist or call the 1-800-SUICIDE number, call someone, call a friend. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.